Hey there, it's Mike Tramp, and you're listening to White Line Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been and it always will be. Okay, welcome to uh, White Line Fever. This is the first part of this week's program, but our guest is someone you heard on the last program, and it's uh, Bob Spencer from uh, Rose To Do. Welcome back, Bob. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> we're sort of we're talking into either end of the phone. We can actually lean together and be like like smoking one cigar from the you know, towards the centre. That's but it's awful. just be- it's, it's an awful thought. Um, but it's just because my voice is insanely loud. Um, <laughs> Bob, um, I want to talk about your, so- your solo album, um, Saints and Murderers, and and there's so much to talk about uh, about it. I guess um, th- there's a lot of uh, different subjects through there. There's a lot of different styles. But I really, I mean, I love the. Um, I can't do that. My wife will kill me. So, we'll just start with that because it's. Um, I, I just wondered what the story is behind that. I mean, there's some stuff on there that's quirky, and you know? I don't know if it's quirky, like you were trying to come up with a quirky song, or it's just a thought that came into your head and you developed it. Um, there's a, there's a, it's, it's, it's hard rock, but it's kind of playful. Um, I, I just wondered. Well, we'll start with that one, um, and we'll go on to talk about more about the album. But where did the idea for that for that one come from? Um. Right, I like to amuse myself, that's one thing, (laughs) as you probably know. Um, The line came, it started with two two lines of lyrics. One is that I've had in my head for years, uh, he's a good little soldier, which is about a particular person I know who comes from a a line of, um, let's say, army backgrounds and... It looks to me like he's one of those people that lives the life his family thinks he should be living mm-hmm. rather than his own life. Yeah, yeah. So that's because I'm a good little soldier. Mm-hmm. Part two is that I was having lunch with a very dear friend of mine who's in a band that's famous, so I can't <laughs> mention who he is, um, a few years ago. And he said that he'd just written a song and presented it to their singer. Their singer doesn't write. And their singer said, I can't sing that my wife will kill me because he's <laughs> ruled. He's got a, huge, a massive thumbprint in the middle of his forehead and he's ruled by his wife. And I said, hang on, I'm just writing that down. So they're the two things I had. Um, good little soldier, uh, living a life that's not a real life, it's a pretend life. Um, and uh, I can't sing that my wife will kill me which soon, which immediately morphed into I can't do that and musically I wanted something that was really dumb so the song is three notes maybe I think three glorious notes <laughs> it's just really really dumb and I wanted it to be and I when I say I want things to be, I don't know how they're taken because I'm not you, I'm not the listener. But my my hope was that it would be a song that w- would bring a smile to the faces of men and women. Mm-hmm. So I was hoping that women would would get a kick out of it. Yeah, that's what Harvey says. And I was hoping that... My wife likes it. It's caught, so, sort of. Uh, yeah, sort of. <laughs> Maybe a bit close to the bone oh. a little. <laughs> so I, I, I was hoping that it was, would be a song that both men and women enjoy Mm -hmm. Um, and I love doing video Mm -hmm. I 
I love if someone could please pay me to do videos yeah, yeah, I'd be yeah. really happy um, so that the whole package was was fun recording the song and coming up with a dumbed down riff and which I love I, I, I like a lot of music with only one riff in it I love African and the backing music. vocals are awesome you know the, the and, intro and the two girls that you if you mean the girls yeah, yeah, yeah. the two girls at the very beginning of the video yeah. Laura and Pam are the two girls who sang on the song do they also sing on who are these people are they no this, this, yeah. who are these people the backing vocals are me All right. and and um, and my wife and right. stepdaughter oh, okay yeah, my stepdaughter refuses to sing now because she's 15 and too cool. <laughs> so um, paint us a picture of what it's like to actually do an album like that all on your own. Like you, one day you wake up, you decide you want to do it. And, and then I, I guess you did crowdfunding, you did Possible. And um, you obviously did the videos yourself. Um, you, uh, I guess you had to find, you were in a studio or did you record at home? You mix it all yourself. Did you play every instrument? Um, what's it like? What's a day in the life of someone doing that? And, and, and was, is it rewarding or do you, do, you, do you get to points in the process where you just feel like giving up, you know? Uh, the answer to the question is yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's a massively eventful experience. Mm-hmm. So wake up in the morning, what would I do? One day I might put down bass, another day I might struggle for four hours with the guitar sound um, another day I might put down some vocals it changed daily and of course there was daily life to be led through the process so stepdaughter needs to be driven um, school uh, shopping some cooking walk the dog blah 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 so it was not as regimented as I had hoped it would be um, it was sometimes haphazard sometimes things worked out the way I wanted them to work out sometimes they didn't it was frustrating, it was rewarding it was maddening it was delightful some things were just delightful like putting down the vocal for um, Daylight which Mm -hmm. is just a straight out love song was, I loved it Mm -hmm. just singing a love song with really simple lyrics was great fun Mm -hmm. um other vocal performances were were difficult. Difficult in that I've never sung before. Um, I didn't really know I could sing anything. I've always hidden behind. Yeah, yeah. I read that you. The, there was a story on musicfeeds.com.au about you take, having therapy to get over your nervousness. You know. Yeah, not not nervousness, fear, yeah. okay. outright fear. And I did have therapy, and the the therapy. The therapy, although initially looked like it was going to be about the fear of singing, really became my fears about all sorts of things in life, of which singing was a part. Mm-hmm. But singing, it transpired that singing was not the central issue. Mm-hmm. And the, the therapy, um, called EMDR, was uh, sensational. It really helped me in a, in a, in a lot of areas. It helped me enormously. So the process was, um, it was like alien landscapes. Mm-hmm. It was all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't, 
as much as I planned, oh, tomorrow I'll do vocal. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I open my mouth and thought, today is not the day I'm doing vocal. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll do tambourine mm-hmm. or, um, you know, or, or do some mixing. Or mm-hmm. Because these days with digital, you can start a mix and you yeah. don't have to complete it. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I also studied, I took the opportunity to study more audio things to do with engineering um, while, I, while I was going through the process I, I learnt more about stuff, audio stuff, sonic stuff, oral stuff so every day was different, a new experience and, and it often threw up things that I wasn't expecting I've got two more questions and we'll play a song off the album first is listening to it today I was thinking like you know you're recording the guitars and then put adding the drums and you're singing out the top of it mm-hmm. and it could sound technically good but that oomph that prop- propulsive aspect that you get from having a group of people could be missing and I just wondered how whether that was a hurdle to overcome that you would you go well everything fits together fine but it, I don't I'm not getting goosebumps you know what I mean I'm not I, you know it, does that is that just a value judgment or do you go to other people or um, okay, I trust very few people. Um, I trust uh, an old and very dear friend of mine, Mark Tinson, in Newcastle. So occasionally I would throw him an MP3, and he came back with a couple of really interesting views. Um, I didn't really listen, let anyone else listen to anything, and I just trusted myself. I have no idea what other people think or were going to think about it I just trusted myself a compliment I have received and I'm extremely happy about this is that it sounds like a band mm-hmm. but it's not It does. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had uh, three great drummers put down the drum tracks in four separate studios which I will never do again because it was really difficult mixing and trying to get a cohesive sound through the album that was very very hard mm-hmm. so I will ne- not do that again next album one drummer one room mm-hmm. Do you digitally speed up and slow down the drum tracks? No, no, no. no, no. Everything is as you hear. Um, Very old school in that sense that I treated the the audio as though it were coming off a two-inch 24-track. I didn't go copying and pasting and fixing all that stuff. If I sang out of tune, which I do, I did it again. Um, If I didn't like my phrasing, I did it again. Um, Something I remember is vocally because I, I am aware that I'm not Stevie Marriott or Paul Rogers or Rod Stewart all, all I tried to bear in mind was deliver the song sell the song, just sell the emotion of the song and don't worry too much about it. sell the song, I don't mean that in a capitalistic way, I mean sell the song deliver the song, deliver the song that's what I kept in my head the entire time mm-hmm. just deliver the song and that's what got me through the vocal The other, the other question, and we'll have a song after this um, is um, the quantum leap from I guess being on sounds with Donnie Sutherland every Saturday morning and, and you know, and being on the radio when you get in the car to doing an album on your own in a genre that is no longer part of the mainstream so it doesn't matter how good the record is not you 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 can't really hope to have enough people hear it um so the 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 sort of um what do you call it the uh the 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 satisfaction and the uh, feedback and the stuff that maybe you didn't realize you relied on before but you were and now it's it's absent 
how, how do you how do you get over that hurdle and get used to it? You know, um, I didn't see it as a hurdle. Uh, for me, this was a cathartic experience, mm-hmm. and um, it was something that I felt I just absolutely had to do. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't thinking in terms of hurdles. Mm-hmm. Just, that didn't enter my mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can when I choose to put that hat on, mm-hmm. I can see the mm-hmm. hurdles, but. Uh, the basis of this was I really need to get this stuff out of my system I've Mm -hmm. also got enough material for two instrumental albums Mm -hmm. or or maybe more or an album I could do two albums of pretty songs (laughs) but I felt I needed to get this particular thing out of my system so I I wasn't I wasn't um, I didn't wake up and think "Mm, hurdle, I just did what I thought I needed to do Okay, let's have a song Oh God no, I didn't even get a chance to think about that. Um, is this going to be a rock kind of thing? Yeah. Um, if it's going to be a rock kind of thing... Oh, God, what are the songs on the album? Holy crap. I can't What's think. What's that song um, I listened to today? Um, what do you think about that? That's a good song. It's very uplifting, and it, it covers a lot of stuff we'll talk about in the next segment. Yeah, yeah. Let's do... And that will be the next film clip, by the way. What do you think about that?
how do we say hey? You're already there. I don't need to say hey. This is Bob Spencer, and you're listening to White Line Fever. So welcome back to the program, and uh, we've got a great guest uh, uh, coming up now. And it's, we only found out about it a few hours ago, but I'm, I'm glad he was able to join us at short notice. Corey Diver from Living Colour. How are you, Corey? Hello, how are you? I'm, I'm doing my best, hanging in there. Thank you very much. We're talking about another Australian tour, and I'm thinking that you've probably done, um, well, every second day for the last two years, you could be talking about an upcoming Australian tour. You're almost, yeah. uh, you're almost applying for residency. I should. <laughs> What's, uh, what, what is it about you? Over the years, you've obviously had a great relationship with... Uh, with Australia, what, what do you think the what do you think the key is there? What do you think the appeal is well, from both sides? I guess. I think the, the, the appeal for us is that the audiences are great. You know, they they know songs that, in some cases, they know songs we don't even play anymore, <laughs> and which, which is a challenge for us to, to really try to work those songs up again. Mm. So, what 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 are some of the tell us some of the songs that you sort of have to work on before you go to Australia? Um. You know, the songs like I Want to Know, I don't know if we, we've played that at, at, since the 80s. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see, what else is there? Uh, we, we, we started to play Which Way to America, and then it's like, mm, we got other stuff we could do. So we'll <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> um, I was recently just here in London, I was at a, like a show by a, a group of you know Australian indigenous dancers and they, they had a number of songs in their set, and one was Love Reads It's Ugly Head, and the English audience yeah. was kind of like, the English audience was like, I, I, they sort of weren't aware of that song. It's a, it's a massive song in Australia, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 uh, we had no idea how, how big a song it was until we got there, actually. Mm. Yeah, and, and are you, were, you, were you aware of this sort of group? I can't remember what they call this group. Uh, they're touring the world, and your song is kind of a centerpiece of their show. They're playing art centres all over the place, you know. I had we had no idea. Okay, I'll, I'll forward I'll forward the uh, the name of them when I when we, when, I, when we get off the phone. Um, you got it. <laughs> so, um, what was going to say um, twice in two years was that is that just because the promoter. Um, rings up and gives you an opportunity, or do you go there once and say, "Wow, this is uh, awesome. We need to come back soon." Yeah, we, you know, up until now, it's been a, it was a while before we had played there on our own. We we went there on a festival two years, like four years ago, and and realized how what fun it was to play in Australia. And we hadn't played in Australia in a while, so when the opportunity comes, we take it. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about um, now looking back on the release of Shade, with uh, I guess uh, a year, a year and a bit. Um, has has have things gone exactly as you expected with the record? Uh, the way it's been received. Uh, do you, do you when a record comes out, do you have preconceptions about how it might be received? Yeah, you do, but you you, you have to throw those out the window, and you know, and, and you got to accept where where people are. You know, we like people to know more about this record. I, I don't think it's got enough promotion or push. I think once people hear it, I think they'll like it, and and it'll be a better sort of response to it. So um, we've, we've been uh, working on the idea of re-releasing the record at some point next year to to pe- to get people more interested in in the album. All right, will you have sort of extra bonus tracks or something when you do that? Absolutely, probably some live stuff from Australia. All right, so ah, oh, awesome, awesome, awesome. So. How does that kind of how does that kind of work when you make the decision to re-release it? Is it because you don't feel a vibe, or you don't feel the audience, the, the live audiences know the songs enough, or is it people 
who work with you, who give you the advice to do that? How, what leads you to that decision? I think it, the release of it last year, it got really good reviews, and a lot of people liked it, but I don't think a lot of people knew it was out. It, it was only in selected places that people knew it was out. You need a broader sort of appeal and a broader uh, sort of uh, marketing push for people to, to actually know if the record is out. Because some of these songs that we have on this on the new record are kind of what's going on today. Mm. And, we, and I think that people need to hear it. Yeah, right, right. Okay. And um, how do you and how do you sort of make sure that it gets uh, more attention this time? Like, what, what measures do you take to sort of make sure that it gets out there a bit more? You have to, you have to do, there's a lot, there's a lot of work involved, I, I imagine. You know, <laughs> that you'd have to, um, you know, it's, it's, it has to be in the right places. The right people have to know that it's out there. It's, it's, it takes a lot more PR. It takes a lot more, you know, FaceTime. You know, a lot more mm. television, a lot more radio. It just it, it take, it's a, it's it's an effort to get people to hear it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, why don't we have a song, Corey? I, I guess you might want to play something from Shade, eh? Yeah. What what can we play? Let's play, let's play Come On.
Corey Glover from Living Color, and you're listening to White Line Fever. Okay, welcome back to White Line Fever, second part of the interview with Rachel Bowler from Skid Row. I want to thank him for joining us. Long uh, relationship uh, and storied relationship with Kiss. I- I've seen you on the play on the Kiss Cruise myself. Um, how-, how-, how did you react to the news of the farewell tour, Rachel? Yeah, I just heard about it the other day, and... Um... You know, being such a huge Kiss fan, it's 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 sad in a way. But I mean, man, they've been doing it a long time, and man, I have the feeling it's not going to be the farewell tour. <laughs> if, you remember, if you remember, in two thousand, we played the farewell tour. We opened up for them on the farewell tour, <laughs> and we were out with them for about nine months. So I have a feeling, as you know, as long as they could keep doing it, maybe they'll take a break. Maybe there'll be a decent hiatus. But I have a feeling we're not going to see the last of Kiss. You know? <laughs> and will you be when, part of it? Will Skid Row be part of it? I would love to. Uh, I don't know whether it's got to that point yet. Um, but, yeah, we would love to be on that. Just How many times can you say you've been on a, yeah, the yeah, same hey, hey. farewell tour twice? <laughs> yeah, you could put it in like Skid Row. Uh, open for Kiss on the farewell tour six times. <laughs> <laughs> Um, speaking of big, big rock and roll tours, did you catch the GNR uh, quote reunion tour? Unquote, and what, if you did, what, what did you think? I did not. I did not uh, see any of it. Um, I heard it was great, and I heard that their their playing and singing was, you know, uh, really on point. But uh, no, I didn't go to see it at all. Right? You still got? You've got a relationship with any of those guys, or, or is it? Uh, it's a long time ago now, I guess. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I mean, the last guy I spoke to, which was a couple years back, was Duff, and he's as nice as always. Mm. You know, he's just a good dude and super nice guy. And that, that was the, the most recent time I've ever spoken to any of them. Yeah, right. Okay. Can we move on to, like, a motorsport and the fact that you're kind of like an athlete who's going going out with painkillers every time you go on stage, just about, you know? Like, how how is... um. How, how how is your injury with your back and 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 are you uh, I know that in Australia there are quite a few go kart tracks around the place and uh, I think when you when you did open for Guns and Roses mentioning Guns and Roses you actually got onto called a raceway with a yeah. real race car um, yeah. so are you uh, are you back kind of in competitive shape or are you uh, you still ailing somewhat uh, no the back is fine it's a, it was a herniated disc that was giving me all the problems that's been fine I, I took a year off of racing by suggestion of my doctor mm. um, and when he said yeah you could go back just you know make sure you wear the wear the Hans device and whatever the head and neck restraint mm. and I got into it a little bit more in my go-kart and then we just got really busy and to tell you the truth I haven't been in a car or a cart in quite some time except for some fun with friends you know mm. um, nothing super competitive but um, yeah, I do plan on hitting those go-kart tracks in Australia because there's some badass go-kart tracks there, man. There's a lot of what? So, yeah, I plan on, I plan on getting in them and uh, having some fun. Got a, got a lot of uh, wide open spaces. Um, okay, let's have another song, Rachel. We, we'll, uh, we'll, your time's valuable. What song can we play next? Uh, let's go off the first record. Let's, uh, let's do Making a Mess. Oh, yeah! Alright! Take it up! Oh. 
program and um, our next guest actually contacted us so we must have at least one listener out there. <laughs> um, we've got Tom here from uh, Classic 78 and before I introduce Tom I just want to explain who Classic 78 are. We played them two episodes ago I think uh, and basically it's that band that sounded like it was Kiss. It's basically that Kiss song you heard that you'd never heard before two episodes ago. It actually wasn't Kiss, it was uh, Classic 78. Uh, welcome to White Line Fever Tom. Hey, Steve, thanks for having me. No, thank you for your time, and thanks for reaching out. Um, now, I'm sure most of these interviews, people ask you to start at the beginning, but I've heard you do that a few times, so I want you to start at the most recent thing that's happened to Classic 78. What is actually going on now? Um, right now, we're kind of laying low um, because there's so much going on in, in the world of, of KISS, and uh, we have some material that we're sitting on that we feel really good about, but we want to make sure that we release it at the proper time because we don't want to get uh, we don't want to get uh, buried in all the hoopla about the the Kiss farewell tour and you know uh, Bruce Kulick and Ace Frehley being on the cruise and will those guys be on the tour and is Vinnie Vincent going to ever do anything again? There's a, whole, <laughs> there's a whole host of things. There's a whole host of things going on, and you know we 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 want to uh, make sure that if we release 
you know, more music that it's at the right time. So it gets its proper due in terms of those people out there who are waiting for more. Yeah. Are you guys, all three of you, are you, um, are you totally day-to-day following the news cycle of KISS or is it varying degrees amongst the, the three of you? Because obviously some people listening to this wouldn't, they kind of be vaguely aware of all the stuff you just mentioned, but it wouldn't be in the middle of their world, you know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, and basically we're all, you know, we're all KISS fans and, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, to different degrees, you know, uh, Joe, who who's one of the lead vocalists who does all the Paul Stanley type of vocals. He's, he's a fan of, of the, their, their entire career. I mean, he mm-hmm. likes certain eras of the band better than others, but he's pretty day to day on what's going on with them. And, and uh, myself being a, a big Ace Frehley fan, I kind of keep tabs on things and see what's going on because, you know, I just want to see uh, how he's doing and if Kiss are going to use him or, 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 or have him uh, come do some, uh, appearances on the tour or not so we we all we kind of you know we're kind of regularly checking in on kiss news just as fans so what do you think the right time to be right time would be to release new material would it be with the tour underway a couple of newspaper headlines you know so you know this a couple a couple of uh, things that have have sort of uh, got poked through to the mainstream and or would you are you going to wait till it's over or are you going to wait till they have a break what, what do you think the right time would be uh, that's a good. That's a good question, and I've been thinking about that. I, I'm thinking it's it's probably going to be after the tour starts, mm. but I'll be surprised if we don't release anything during the tour. Mm-hmm. You know, if you know if if we don't release anything, if we don't release anything while the tour is going on, it's just a scheduling issue on our end. But I I think, you know, I think uh, releasing the third release after the, the tour starts maybe you know maybe in march sometime that's what i'm looking at right so the the record the records i guess they're eps and they're digital aside from when you put out a box set called the unoriginals uh which is a, ch- a cheeky title that um yeah. side one and side two um they've been available now for what about about a, a year between a year and two years yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, coming up on two years for side one. We released yeah. side one in February of 2017, and side two we released on Halloween of 2017, October 31st or 30th. I can't remember what date I actually released it. Mm. But um, yeah, so we're coming up on two years for the first release and coming up on a year and a half for the second one. And can you give us a peek into what it's like to take the interest of the Kiss Army the way you have and to have the sort of response you've had and and um and 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 how I guess how much it may have surprised you. It, it it did surprise us because we we wanted to do this just for fun and just to get it out there and see if anybody would catch on or or hear some of the familiar things that we are hearing when we're putting this stuff down, thinking oh some people may like this, particularly people or the original lineup because that's the sound that we're going for. Hmm. And then when we and when we released the first one. Uh, we were shocked at how how uh, how quickly word got around and how how people responded in such a positive fashion because it it connects with them in a on a nostalgic level mm. for most people because mm-hmm. it reminds them when they were first discovering Kiss or when they were first discovering rock and roll or when they first discovered the, the, those original records even even if you bought your first record in 1989 most Kiss fans went backwards to see what was going on and 
then you get turned on to this whole other thing that happened in the 70s. And we connected with people like that. And, and it was amazing for us because we knew that we connect with some people, but we didn't realize it would be thousands and thousands of, of people. Yeah, I mean, my first album was, we called it Dynasty in Australia, Dynasty. And I, got, I think I got it for Christmas, and then I immediately went back and bought the, the self-titled debut, and then I got them all in order. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then I got them all on CD when they came out on CD, so I really I can kind of have got a similar, a similar experience. Maybe we should uh, play, play a song, first up song, Tom. Uh, have you got a song? What, what, what would you like people to hear? You know what? Talking about Ace, uh, if, if you can play Jendel from Side 2, I think people would get a kick out of hearing that. It's very Ace Frehley. 1978 type of song.
Hi, this is Tom from Classic 78, and you're listening to White Line Fever. Welcome back to the program. We normally do the rugby league uh, chat in the middle, uh, but it's the end. It's the end of the program, and we're doing the rugby league chat at the end. Before I introduce our guest, I want to um, tell you that, and I should tell you, I should be doing this every single episode, uh, saying that the, the podcast is brought to you by Mascot Browns. That's Browns with a Z. Uh, we do International Rugby League Merch and the book Touchstones, which has been out um, about almost, no, not almost two years, about 18 months. Okay, we are sitting here at Houston Station in Ireland, and I'm here with a man who has just moved back to his homeland in the last 48 hours. It's Connor Kelly. How are you, Connor? I'm not too bad, Steve. How are you? Good, mate. I'm really good. Looking forward to going down to tip for uh, Christmas and not drinking and eating. Um, uh, now, um, you, you're, uh, for the listeners, you've you obviously been involved in rugby league most of your adult life, um, and you've just moved back here for, for Coventry, uh, from Coventry, uh, um, where you were a player and an official. Um, can you tell us tell us a little bit about your sort of rugby league journey, uh, um, in sort of Reader's Digest version, you know? Yeah, um, I suppose I'll start with one of the more unpopular parts of it, where I used to play rugby union, <laughs> um, and then when I, I always watched rugby league on Sky Sports, on BBC, watching the Challenge Cup, and I sort of grew up. I came into my teenage years when Brian Carney was starting to really make it an impact in the game so I remember watching him play play for Wigan and obviously had a stint in the NRL and I remember watching some of the great games Andy Farrell that, that great Wigan team at that time on Sky Sports most Friday nights and I thought it's something actually I'd like to play and I did it once I got, got to 18 I started doing a bit of research to see if, if there was I didn't even know if there was teams in Ireland at that stage this is before Google was widely used or even smartphones anything along those lines so um, I remember getting in touch with Richard Egan um, and playing a couple of seasons with the Dublin Sea Exiles, which is how I started. Realised I wasn't that good of a player. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up taking up match officiating, doing some media work for, for Rugby League Ireland. And that led me back closer to where, where I'm from in Dublin. Um, there was a group of guys setting up a team in Valley Fairmouth. And um, I remember going down to do do some media stuff on them, and I just straight away clicked with the, with the guys, mm-hmm. and they end up we ended up forming the club. The, initially, the Ballyfermot mm-hmm. Bears, then the West Dublin Bears, and I remember I ran that for a few years, and ended up getting into coaching and doing all sorts as you do when you're running a, an amateur club, and it's only a group of three or four people. You end up doing a bit a bit of everything. So during that time, we had a lot of young guys coming through, mm-hmm. and the these guys were 17, 18, playing in local schools. Rugby, rugby was not played in, in that part of Dublin at all. Mm-hmm. No one had ever even tried it, so it was completely new to them. People who had watched on TV, they didn't even realise it was rugby league they were coming to play. Mm-hmm. They just saw the overball, thought we'd mm-hmm. come and have, have a go at this. Um, one of the guys who came down was actually a school teacher, and this is how this is how it leads me to Coventry. So mm-hmm. if you bear with me. Um, not my intended bear with me. <laughs> so, um, so his name is Anthony McCreary. Anthony came to me and said, "I run my local rugby team, but I want them to play rugby league in the school. I want, I want some schools rugby league. Can you do it?" And, and I obviously had a conversation with the RLI board. They said, "Yeah, go and do." We did a one-day blitz in Drada with three schools, and from that, there were sixty lads there playing. From that, we evolved into an Ulster versus. Leinster game because one Wayne Kelly who's who's been involved for a long time as well he was teaching up in Ulster and he had the team and, and we, we talked about it and we got, got a couple of games going from there we ended up doing international stuff 
mm. and the international board gave funding for under, underage development for the first time in a long time. So we used that to do some representative stuff for a couple of years. While I was doing that, I got a bit more of a, a feel for coaching and managing now higher level. And obviously around that time, Coventry Bears were, after being accepted into League One, and from previous tours going to America, I knew Alan Robinson. So I had been talking to Alan about players in Ireland who he was interested in trying to get to Coventry. Um, and I actually said to him, I said, oh, could I come over for a couple of weekends a year and mm. oversee, like, have a look at the coaching and the management to see what you do? And one thing led to another, and I spent four years living there. Um, I actually went for, in December, four years ago, probably nearly to the day, to, for a weekend. I'd never been to Coventry. I didn't know anyone in Coventry other than Alan. I didn't even know it was near Birmingham until I did some research. And um, I flew over, and straight away I met people like Ron Brown, Tom Sang, and I thought, this is... You know, this this is for me. This is a great club, great people, and um, I got the opportunity. Alan, Alan had gotten funding from the RFL through the Sky Troy project to have a community manager, so he offered that job to me. And obviously, I, I went whole hog and moved moved myself over to to Coventry, having only been there for two days before. So it was a bit, a bit of a bit of a jump, mm-hmm. um, bit of a leap, leap of faith almost in Alan. You know, having the faith that. I would have some, you know, some security over there. Um, I remember the, the first weekend we went. I went there. We actually went out to Spain. So I, I'd gotten the boat over in my Irish car, everything I owned in the back of the car. Mm-hmm. Spent eight hours on the boat to Liverpool overnight. And this was closed. <laughs> so I spent, I spent a good fourteen hours travelling to Coventry. Now, in hindsight, I probably should have flown because it only takes an hour. <laughs> but I spent four, 14 hours travelling there, and then straight away we went to, went to Spain, spent the weekend there. And I remember when we when I came back from Spain, I didn't know where I was living. Mm-hmm. Alan had sorted the room out, but I didn't know where it was. We got back at midnight, and I got off the, off the plane, and got off the train, and went, where am I meant to be going? Mm-hmm. Where am I sleeping tonight? And some of the lads walked me around. That's had to walk through Coventry at 1 o'clock in the morning trying to find find the house I was going to be living in. So it was certainly an experience after, you know, having lived in Dublin for, for all my life to, to go through that was a bit of an eye-opener, but it was in a positive way to, you know, I'd, I'd lived on my own before that, so I went to living with some of the players, James Gorch and Jamal Hunt. So some of the camaraderie and some of the, some of the antics in the house were, a bit, <laughs> were something that were alien to me at the time. So Connor, why are you back here in Dublin? Um, I guess after spending four years in Coventry, I only planned to spend a year, and I ended up spending four, which is a lot longer. I think I just got to a stage in life where, um, where I thought maybe it's time to come home. Uh, I looked at the earth, what it was like in Dublin in terms of job-wise, and realised it was on a real uptrend. Mm-hmm. You know, to see it changed a lot since I've been here, even in just in the short four years. And um, when I left, it was just coming out of the recession. Now it's obviously gone back in positive. Everything's positive. They're back building. They're back. There's all new fads. There's a donut fad now in Dublin, which wasn't there when I came back. You now have crispy people queuing for two hours outside of Krispy Kreme to, to to spend three three euro on a donut that's probably only cost ten cent to make. So I just thought it was it was a good time for me to come back. Um, I. I hadn't really for the last two years I was in Coventry I hadn't been massively involved in rugby league in Ireland mm-hmm. um, this year I got back involved with the under 19s with the trip to Serbia and that kind of gave me a passion for getting back involved at that level and trying to bring some of the knowledge that I picked up from Alan and Tom and 
Brown Banks and people like that back to Ireland to try and help develop the game. So that kind of piqued my interest in coming back and I think it just feeling well. I think four years is quite a long time to be, be away from home. Mm-hmm. For me anyway, I've never lived away from home before. So I just felt it was a great opportunity to come come home and you know, obviously there's another project which I'm, I've started working on which came up in that time as well which people have been looking at for years and years and I spoke to people and they said let's, let's, let's try and do it now let's, instead of just thinking about it let's actually go and move that forward and try and see if we can do it mm. Now um, what you're referring to is a Dublin team in the British system I think everyone knows it's, 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 it's sensitive politically before I ask you about the uh, Dublin team in the British system can you explain to people who wouldn't understand why it's sensitive politically. I think it, it's sensitive. To, there's been a, a total change in the Rugby League Ireland board mm-hmm. over the last few months, and um, there's a whole new host of personnel there who I haven't worked with before. Mm-hmm. So I think there's there's a feel, feeling out stage here where we have mm-hmm. to get people have to get to know each other, mm-hmm. understand how people operate, mm-hmm. and obviously they're, they're I'm sure trying to get to grips with the development of the game, where the game is. Mm. and where they want it to go mm. and I'm sure that if they hear there's a professional team coming to Dublin they, they probably panic straight away going, mm. we don't know what we're doing yet how can we mm. manage this so um, that, that's probably why it's politically sensitive mm-hmm. um, now obviously the Dublin Blues it's a long term project it's not something that we're looking to do in 2019 mm-hmm. walk in and enter one. It's mm-hmm. not, obviously it's too late to do that now but mm. it's, it's never that was never an on the table, which I think people believed was 2019, 2020, it's going to be a little bit longer than that mm. because it's a it's a big project. It's not it's not something that's done in, in Ireland very often. There's not many professional sports teams that set themselves up. Mm-hmm. All the teams that are professional have a long history, mm-hmm. um, so it's something that's, that's relatively unknown. Even the sport rugby league is relatively unknown in, in Ireland. Mm-hmm. So to bring up what is to a lot of people a whole new sport in. Mm. It's going to be, it is a massive challenge. So, mm. okay. So, can you tell us? We've, we've read some stories, maybe in the last twelve months, about it. So, where is it at? You know, what what what's your involvement? Um, um, it, it's very much in the planning stage. Mm. Um, we're, we're looking at at the business side of things, how we can operate as a business, how you know where will we get the revenue from? Because it's going to cost a lot of money, including travel. Maybe not as not as much as such as products such as Toulouse or Toronto, mm-hmm. where they're you know Toronto obviously are doing transatlantic flights every week, every mm-hmm. few weeks. So mm-hmm. the the cost and the 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 premise will be slightly different. However, it's still a, a, a team flying to games, teams having to commute to, to Dublin, um, albeit a short shorter journey. Mm. Um, so we, we're having to look at that. Look at the logistics. Is it possible? The business plan will it be a success? Um, probably the stuff that people don't enjoy looking at mm-hmm. that's what we're looking at now so that's where it is um, we, it's, the inclination is to straight away look at who we, who's going to play for us mm-hmm. look at the players look at the, the kit design look mm-hmm. at the, the website the social media let's get you know all the glitzy and mm-hmm. glamour stuff however without the business side of things that's irrelevant mm-hmm. so any logos any jersey designs any players any you mm-hmm. know Stadiums and all all that end of end of things is irrelevant until we can know we know that's going to be a successful business. Mm. We know that's financially sustainable, and we know that's not going to have a negative impact on the game of rugby league in Ireland. 
Um, it would be remiss of me. I, we're going to do two interviews. We'll just do it all in one. Yeah. Um, it'd be remiss of me not to ask who we are. You talk about yourself. Who, who else is <laughs> who? Who's, who's we? Uh, I think I'll get in trouble if I say everyone. Um, I've, I've got some, some friends from over here involved in different different industries. So yeah. of people that I worked with in the media side of things mm. who covered rugby league. Mm. So they have a good grasp of, of the media. They do a lot of love radio stuff a lot of they're one of the main radio present, sports mm. presenters in Dublin mm-hmm. so they understand the landscape in, in the media in Dublin and I think that's the first thing we have to look at we have to look at in Dublin because I've had a lot of people come to me and say get you know ex-former Irish international to, to publicise in Ireland well Irish Rugby League internationals generally are unknown in Ireland mm-hmm. you know so even though I know them, you know them, people think, you know, they're celebrities in, in, in their field, mm-hmm. they're unknown in, in Dublin. Mm-hmm. So rolling out an ex-Irish international in front of a load of people in Dublin, it's just another former rugby player who they yeah. don't know. So mm-hmm. we obviously have to, we have to navigate the, the, media, what the, media, the media in Ireland. We have to look at the marketing, how, how to market it. So I've got a marketing specialist in. Um, I'm purposely not naming them mm-hmm. for the moment until we get a bit more foundation in place so um, and obviously I've, I've been speaking to people like Alan Robinson getting the voice off him because he, he's done it he's done it he's brought a professional team into from from being amateur to professional but he knows what it's like to run a professional team in a developing area he knows the challenges of player recruitment of sponsorship of getting sponsorship getting, you know, getting fans getting people into the ground but people like that when I say we that's who I'm talking directly and indirectly helping me so Will there be a? Um, has there been a submission to the RFL, or will there be ones? Um, there hasn't at the moment. I have, we have. I have spoken to Ralph Rimmer um, personally and made him aware that it is something that's being looked at. Um, in terms of submission, it's still aspirational at this point. So mm. to put a, put a date on the submission, I think is would be naive of, of myself. I don't think we're we're ready to do that yet. Mm. Obviously, when we when we are ready, when when the project is at that point then it'll be a bit more public mm. and people will know a bit more about it it'll be, we'll be, I'll be able to say, say more about it as well so if we, can this be done without the support of Rugby League Island do you think because around the world sometimes the local professional franchise rubs the local um, domestic authority the wrong way we're seeing Canada yeah. they don't they don't seem to get on great but the Wolfpack in Canada um, would you obviously rather have them on site yeah, I think we, we. I would rather have them on side. I'd rather be there be an agreement and a, a, a relationship there. Mm. Um, I think at the moment they need to focus on getting getting their feet under the table and mm. you know developing the game. Mm. And you know they, there's challenges there because it's a game that goes in cycles. It goes in cycles from having twelve clubs to six clubs. To go, mm. You know, and it, it is difficult to develop the game in a, in a country such as Ireland where there's. You know, there's a lot of other sports that are ingrained in society. Sports like Gaelic football, hurling, mm. soccer, rugby union, they're ingrained in society. I mean, you, you've probably seen it just driving through through the city centre, you see all the advertisements mm. and the sports people. So, to, you know, I, I appreciate their focus is going to be on developing the game and the last thing they want to talk about is a professional team in Ireland. Um, but I think in, 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 the, in the best case scenario, yeah, there will be a relationship. Mm. Can it work without it? You've already cited a, a, a time where it has in Toronto and, and Canada. Like you said, there, there probably is no relationship at all there. Mm-hmm. 
but they still make it work. Mm. Toronto still make it work with, with all with everything they're doing there in terms of publicising the game, mm. and that in effect benefits Canada Rugby League because mm. Rugby League is being brought to six, seven thousand people every time they play. Mm-hmm. That wouldn't have happened before, would it? So, mm. and then obviously that's not even talking about TV audiences in Canada and you know some of the other stuff that they're doing off the field. So I think yes, there would be a massive benefit to be a link there and to be a relationship. Do you need? Do you have a rich guy? Do you need a rich guy? Uh, we probably need a rich guy. We don't have one at the moment. <laughs> um, but I think I think again we need, we need to go back to the business plan to show so mm. we can show a rich guy or anyone who's looking to invest that's viable mm. if we show them a business plan where it's hemorrhaging money who's going to want to be involved in that no one's mm-hmm. going to want to be involved in something where it's saying oh yeah you need to shell out X million a year mm-hmm. and you're not going to get any return mm-hmm. so that, that's the challenge that's, that's where we have to get those selling points put together we have to get, get a solid business plan where someone can look at and say yes I want to be a part of that mm-hmm. without that it, it remains aspirational and remains just a, a hope and a dream. Is it right there's only a, a very small number of professional well, teams of any sport, but particularly professional um, rugby teams in this country? So from the playing pool, pool point of view, you're going to have quite a, a good sort of uh, well of, of talent there, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, there's, there's professional soccer league, so there's mm. probably about 20 odd professional soccer teams. Mm. Uh, in terms of rugby, there's four. Mm-hmm. So there's your provinces: Connacht, Leinster, Munster, Ulster. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, there's no professional rugby. Mm-hmm. So there is a player pool there. They, each of them have academies and sub academies, and they have a lot of players coming through their systems mm-hmm. that aren't going to make it. And mm-hmm. it's, it's similar to Super League academies, they have a lot of players coming through their system that just they're not ready to make it at that time. So some of them will drop the championship league mm-hmm. one, and we'd hope that we could get some guys to convert and give rugby league a try. And, you know, and it has been seen before where, where rugby union players have converted. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, even just this year, Ed O'Keefe, who came through the Munster and Connacht system, played for Ireland. Mm-hmm. And I know he went, I believe he went on trial with Lee, and he's looking to try and play rugby league professionally. So there are players there who will do it. Mm-hmm. The, the challenge that they face is if they want to play professional rugby league at the moment, they have to leave Ireland. Mm-hmm. There's no two ways about it. You have to go to England and you have to go to. Realistically, you probably have to go to League One or Championship because mm-hmm. there's not a lot of Super League teams who are willing to take a punt on, on an unknown player. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the, because of the investment side that they're putting in in terms of paying the player, they then obviously the players want to get game time, mm-hmm. and they'll only develop with game time. So there's no point in a weekend signing an Irish player to sit on the sideline and not even make the reserves, for example. Mm-hmm. So for me, the best the players that if we get young players say 17-18 who, who can come, go to England initially they will develop quicker than the guys who stay here mm. now unfortunately not all of them are in a position to do so mm-hmm. so it, it is a big commitment I've done it myself I know what you know what they're facing and, and I've had I mean over the last four years I've spoken to over 20 guys in the domestic system about coming to England to play mm-hmm. now only five of them actually have done that mm-hmm. So that goes to show you the, the challenge they are being faced with, with that that pathway. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, I, I believe that if they didn't have to make that move, if they could play it without leaving home, we would see more more people play the game because mm-hmm. that opportunity is there. There's a carrot there for them, mm-hmm. and also with that, then it will develop players for the national team. Mm-hmm. So the argument of heritage against domestic 
won't be the same because mm. we'll have a group of players playing professional rugby league in Ireland mm. who are Irish qualified that will have the experience now they'll, they'll be closer to, the, to that, that level mm. they won't I'm not saying they're going to be superstars or we're going to be you know walking a team into Super League after three years like, but if, if we develop players over long term we've seen little glimpses of players who can do it you know we've seen Ronald Michael who's, who's gone to Huddersfield now won himself a contract and really did himself no harm when he played in the senior internationals he, did, he didn't, didn't look out of place for, for an 18 year old guy who, who played only a small amount of rugby league so if he can be developed in the right way over the next three or four years who knows what level he can play at mm-hmm. you know and obviously Huddersfield sees something in him so there is a potential for him to play Super League mm-hmm. you know and we haven't had a Norris born Super League player since Brian Kearney mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a, a long time I'm sure Brian won't be too happy to hear that yeah, I'm getting married at the moment the John's boys are over for his, uh, for his wedding so uh, yeah, congratulations Brian okay Connor thanks uh, for that um, make sure you catch us on Twitter WLF Podcast Facebook forward slash WLF Podcast and um, subscribe and comment on iTunes and um Connor, I'm giving you the honour of uh, picking a song to close the program. What have you got for us? I think I'll go someone, a, a, a local rock star, uh, well, former rock star, unfortunately, uh, Tin Lizzy. We'll go whiskey in a jar.
yonder <laughs> and I'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore <laughs> Michael Monroe here for White Line Fever and you get a chance come and check us out live we're going to rock your socks off and whatever rock like fuck that's what I say okay <laughs> come on down and rock on 